Uh, Today is going to be the third message and the last one in this focus on stewardship that comes right out of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. In the first message, you know, we talked about uh, how we should give. And we saw in that first message that really giving begins in the heart and that giving is a response to the grace of God in our life. When you come to know Christ and you understand how much he has done for us, I mean, we want to give back. We want to bless others because we have been blessed by God. And Paul pointed to the example of the Macedonians who, in spite of their extreme poverty even, and their trials that they were going through gave generously. Their giving swelled up in overflowing joy and rich generosity, he said, which is an amazing thing. In the second message in this uh, section, we looked at the importance of financial integrity. We talked about how we handle our money, both as individuals and as a church, and that it's really important that we strive, like Paul did, to do what is right, both in the eyes of God as well as in the eyes of man. And so we want to be very diligent, very careful in how we use the resources that God has given to us. Well, today, in this last message, we're going to be talking about the blessings that come when we give. We're going to look at why we should give and what does God do? What happens as we give? And what we'll see is that sometimes those blessings are financial, just like this man, a Henry Parsons Crowell, who received so much, I mean, way beyond what he had thought God might do. But he responded to that call of D.L. Moody, who said, you know, the world is yet to see what God can do through one man who is fully devoted to him. And he didn't say that he had to be a talented man. He didn't say he had to be a rich man or an educated man. Just one man who's willing to give his heart fully to the Lord. And that young teenager said, Lord, I want to be that man. I want to do that. And, you know, I I think about that as a pastor. I mean, we don't know what God may be doing in our church, in the lives of our children and our youth even as well as for those of us that are adults, and that even in our midst, God may be pleased to raise up someone who responds to his call, who will go into missions or evangelism or teaching or medicine or science or some other area, and God will use them in a powerful way to be a witness for Christ. Sometimes the blessings God gives are financial, but this is not a way to get rich. That's not why we give More often the blessings are spiritual and they are shown in the fruit that we see as God uses our gifts to bless others and we see that fruit in our own life in terms of greater joy or greater peace or greater contentment as we give and satisfaction in all things. And what a joy it is when we do see God use our gifts to change the lives of other people and someone else comes to know Christ. Here's the bottom line. In God's economy, we gain far more than we ever give up. We gain far more than we ever give up by being a generous giver. So let's take a look at what Paul wrote here, and we're going to uh, share four reasons this morning why we should give. Let me read the passage for us, and then we'll jump into it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 6, and we'll be looking through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, Remember this that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, 
And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I just thank you for the richness of it. I thank you for what it teaches us about being generous in our giving because you have been generous with us. And Father, I pray that we would take this to heart, that you would do a work in our church and in the lives of those who are here even this morning. Father, to to change us, to encourage us, to strengthen our conviction about how important this is. And would you use our church, Lord, to literally impact not only our community, but the world for Jesus Christ. We pray it in your name. Amen. Here are four reasons why we should give. Number one, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. We see it right there in verse 7 where he describes that. Another way to say this would be that generous giving pleases God. Now here is Paul saying, you know, remember this principle, that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Remember this. And where do you think Paul got that teaching or that idea? Well, we see it in Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said this. He said, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. In other words, just getting as much in there as you can. It will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's saying that there is this principle of giving that we receive according to what we sow, what we give. In other words, he's saying that we pick the measuring stick, or maybe the measuring bowl in this case, in terms of how it's being poured in. Now, isn't that a remarkable thing that he is saying here, that you really decide in one sense how much you want to be blessed by the amount that you give? And we see that in so many areas, not just financial, But when you think about your own life, you know, if we sow kindness, if you are kind to others, you tend to reap kindness, don't you? If you're an encourager, you get encouragement back. If you are the kind of person that loves to help others, 
you find that there are those who are there to help you. I see that even in the caregiving that goes on in our church and the relationships that are built. If you invest your life in other people and you are there when they are in need and you care for them, it comes back over and over again as people care for you. And the same thing is true in the area of finances and our giving to the Lord. And so when people ask the question, well, how much should we give? Well, in one sense, the answer is, it depends upon you. Do you want to be blessed a little, or do you want to be blessed a lot? You pick the measure. And Paul uses an analogy here from farming to teach us some principles about giving. He compares giving to a farmer sowing his seed in the field. And here's some observations. You know, they back then did kind of the broadcast sowing, if you will, or planted seeds individually in the ground. And today we use modern machinery to do that, but there are still principles that apply. When a farmer plants his seed, he doesn't see it as a loss. He sees the potential harvest. You know, when he's putting that seed in the ground, he's not going, oh man, I wish I didn't have to do this. You know, I really hate putting this seed in the ground. What a waste, you know. He is not thinking that at all. When a farmer plants his seed, all he's thinking about is that harvest that is to come. That's the reason he plants. He's looking forward to the reward of what is going to come in terms of that crop in the future. And yes, he knows that there are risks. And yes, he knows that there's work involved. But he is thinking of the harvest or he wouldn't plant at all. And when a farmer plants, he can't be stingy with the seed or there won't be a harvest. I mean, he's not out there thinking, well, maybe I'll just put a couple seeds in this field this year, you know, and we'll hope for the best. I mean, that would be absolutely foolish for a farmer to do that. The only person he'd hurt is himself by being stingy. No, instead, on the other side, he's very careful with what he plants. He isn't wasteful with his seed. He's not just putting it anywhere, but he carefully plants his seed where it will bear the most fruit. He tills the soil. He works it up. He prepares the ground. And where it is good soil and where there is the potential for this harvest, he plants that seed so that it will bear again the most fruit. And then finally, he trusts God to do what only God can do. Produce the harvest. He sows the seed, he works the soil, but only God can send the rain and make the sun shine and do all of those things that are involved in producing a harvest. And sometimes there's a bountiful harvest where everything just in a season goes just right. And at other times there is loss, but the farmer continues to sow his seed and he walks by faith. It is the same thing with giving. There are these basic principles that come out of this passage, and we've talked about it before, that when we give, we are to give generously, Paul says. That's his encouragement. Don't be a person that sows sparingly, but be a person who sows generously. So each one needs to decide what they are going to give. And does that, you know, does that generous giving, does that mean 5% of our income? Is it 10%? Is it 15 or 20 or 25 or is it, you know, 70% of our income? If God had blessed us with those means to be able to do that, each one should decide in their heart what they are going to give. 
Now we've talked about the Old Testament principle of tithing and how that's a good place to start as a Christian with 10% of our income. But maybe, you know, uh, it's easier when you learn that as a child or a young adult and you're setting your budget. And maybe you are in a situation where you have uh, debts that need to be paid or you've got some struggles going on. And maybe you say, you know what, I'd like to start at 5 and I'd like to work up to 10%. That would be my goal. And I want to do that and trust God to bless. And maybe that's just where you begin. It's not a legalism thing that says you have to do this, but it is a principle that God is trying to teach us about generous giving. And we see that, that come through here so clearly with Paul that we as believers are to respond to God's grace in our life by giving generously in return. He wants us to do it willingly when he says that each one should decide what he wants to give. Not grudgingly, not feeling like somebody's twisting your arm, but where you can do this freely and generously. Yet at the same time, don't let a bad attitude keep you from giving. If someone says, well, I don't think I should give this because, you know, I don't think I could really do this with a good attitude, (laughs) then pray about your attitude and pray and ask God to teach you how to give willingly and cheerfully. Because what's interesting, when it says that God loves a cheerful giver in Greek, this word that's used there for cheerful is the word hilaron. It's the word, I mean, we use to get the word in English, hilarious. That's the word that's used here. God loves an hilarious giver, someone who just delights in this. And when they are writing that check or they're surprising somebody with an anonymous gift or they're blessing a missionary or an agency or helping someone in need and they are able to do that and they do it with joy, God delights in that because that's the kind of giver he is. And he loves to see that quality in his children. He doesn't want to see us be grudging or stingy or miserly about these resources. He wants us to be able to give with joy because he has blessed us. And that's why not only does God delight in us when we do that, but Paul tells us here that God blesses those who give. And we see that in verses 8 and 8 through 11. I mean, look at that verse 8 again. He says that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in, and it could read, all good works. Five times, same word he's using there that expresses all or every. Now, do you think Paul's trying to make a point here? Can God take care of us when we choose to give? Yes, he can. He's he's trying to stress this over and over again. God is able. He is sufficient, as we have said here, to meet our needs, to provide for us. You see, one of the things that keeps people from giving is fear. People feel like, well, if if I give it away, I'm not going to have it or I won't be able to use it, or I won't have enough maybe for me to live on myself. And Paul is saying, don't think that way. You realize who we are dealing with? The living God who owns everything. And I know it would make absolutely no sense at all in a math class. But I can tell you, in God's economy, 
living on 90% with God is greater than trying to get by on 100% without God. In God's economy, it works. And it is far better to be a person who says, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to give you what you are due and I'm going to trust you to provide for me and then watch that happen. In fact, if you never take that step of faith to give generously and to see God work, you're never going to have those kind of examples in your own life where you can tell others or tell your children what God did and how he provided for you. And you never know how he may provide. Sometimes in our giving generously, it might be the fact that our car just runs longer. And, it, and it's fine. It just works. Or that he provides for you in other ways that are not financial, but he just extends things or he blesses in terms of health or how he watches over you. It doesn't mean, though, that as Christians we aren't going to have struggles or we aren't going to have trials. We will. That happens too. That's a part of life because God is also working on our character in other ways. But he doesn't want us to be anxious about our future. He wants us to be able to put that in God's hands. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33? He said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is talking about priorities there. Put God first in your life, and he will provide for you. And I know that that is a very difficult thing to hear if you're in a situation dealing with unemployment right now or you are looking at your future and wondering, how is this going to work? But you can think about it in a sense, that's what was going on with the Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering because of the famine. And that was the very reason that Paul was taking this offering from the Corinthians. And when we struggle, maybe we're struggling financially or making ends meet, one of the ways that God may meet those needs is through your brothers and sisters in Christ, through family members, through those who come alongside of you to pray with you and to uh, provide or to help you through this time. God will meet your needs. And so often when we start to give, when we are learning to tithe or learning to take these steps of faith, God will answer in very specific ways that are just absolutely clear. You know, you just can't miss it in terms of what God is doing. I think of when our son Matt uh, was still uh, kind of going to school. He had taken a year off and he was working up at Camp Shamina. And at Chemina, at our church camp, you know, you don't get paid a lot. You get kind of the room and board and a little stipend and that. And so he had paid all of his bills, and then he heard that um, Phil Kagey was going to be coming to the Brainerd area for a concert. And Matt plays guitar, and he's like, oh, man. He really wanted to see Phil Kagey, but it came down to where he had enough to either pay his tithe or buy a ticket. <laughs> and so here's the choice. You know, young man learning to give, what do I do? And so he chose to give his tithe to the Lord and put that in the offering. Well, a few days later, camp got this call. It was someone from Phil Kagey's team who was asking if they had anybody at camp who would like to work backstage at the concert. He needed a couple people on the stage just to help out with things. 
and Matt volunteered, got to see Phil Kagey for free, and got to sit on stage just off to the side, closer than he would have sat if he had bought a ticket. And it was just one of those things where for Matt it was just absolutely clear, Lord, what you are doing. You take the step of faith, you honor the Lord. The Bible says those who honor me, I will honor. I think of a couple in our church who went through the Financial Peace University class that we offer. A class, uh, Dave Ramsey's material, using that to help us learn principles about good money management and giving. And when they came toward the end of that class, they were talking as a couple, you know, what should we do? How, how much should we give in terms of our tithe? Should we tithe on the gross income or should we tithe on our net income? Again, you choose. It's not, it's not a legalistic way that says you have to do this. You just choose what you're going to give in that regard. And so they said, well, why don't we try it? And the wife especially was the encouragement here to say, well, let's take this step of faith. And trust God, and for three months, we're going to tithe on our gross income and see what God does. Do you know that at the end of that three months, almost to the day, the husband was contacted by his boss, and his boss wanted to see him. Brought him into the office, and literally, it seemed like this was out of the blue, he got a raise that was ten times the amount that they had chosen to give. And she goes, it's just funny. I know God didn't have to do it that way. It wasn't eight, you know, eight times or nine times. It was ten times the amount that they had chosen to give. And many, many times in our life, God will do things. I've seen things like that too when I was a young Christian just starting out and taking this step of faith where God provided in that way. And Paul is saying, God can do this. He looks to Psalm 112 where he says, you can look at the example of the righteous man. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. In Psalm 112 verse 5, the scripture says that good will come to him who is generous and lends freely. In Proverbs 19.17, the scripture says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. And sometimes those rewards we see come in financial ways, but not always. And we shouldn't always expect that either. These are principles of giving, and God will take care of us. But Paul will write of his own experience in Philippians 4. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of both. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said, I've learned to live in poverty. And I've learned to live when I have had a lot. And I've learned this secret of contentment that God will provide and take care of me. Have you come to that point in your own life? And I, I am very grateful for how God has taken us as a couple through uh, similar things on both ends, times when we've had very little and we've seen God provide and it's just day-to-day -day kind of thing and we didn't know where it was coming from. And God was there. He showed up. And He did. He provided what we needed. But I've seen other times too where we've had these unexpected blessings and then we go, okay God, what do you want us to do with this? I mean, if God gives you an unexpected blessing or if you have come into an inheritance or you get a bonus at work, it is very important that we as Christians look at that and go, God, 
what is it that you want me to do with this gift? I like what Randy Elkhorn says. He said that God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but my standard of giving. The reason that those gifts come to us is not so that we can live more affluently and just kind of continue to add to our wealth, but that we may be generous in giving to others. And he shares this illustration. Suppose you have something really important that you want to send to someone. And so you get a box, you know, and you put that in the box and you pack it up all nicely, you know, and you seal it with the tape and the mailing tape, you know, and then you call the FedEx guy and you say, you know, I'd like you to come pick up this package because I needed to go to so-and-so. And so you give it to the FedEx guy. Well, what would you think if that FedEx guy, instead of delivering the package, took it home and opened it up and kept it for himself? I mean, you'd go, wait a minute, that's not right. I mean, this guy doesn't get it. I mean, his job is to be the delivery man. He's supposed to take what I send and give it to the person that I want it to go to. That's exactly right. And in the spirit of giving, God is the owner. Everything that we have has come from Him. We are just the middleman. We are the stewards. And God says, you know, I've given you this to provide for your needs and to take care of you, but I want you to be a person who is generous. And so God, where, where do you want me to give these gifts? And how do you want me to use what I have been given for your glory? Well, that's the third point here that God uses our giving to meet the needs of others. God uses our giving to meet the needs of others. And we see that in verse 12. And just a brief statement when he says that this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. God uses our giving to meet the needs of others. There are many ways that we can give. And I'm just going to put up some examples here. You know, our benevolent fund helps people in need. And there are many different ministries or agencies, you know, in the cities. I mean, whether it's a Union Gospel Mission or whether it's through the Salvation Army or other agencies like that, you can give to meet the needs of those who are hungry or needy. Our Benevolent Fund helps those in our church who are in need as we are able. You can give to special projects or special offerings. We do that at our church when we have visiting ministries here like Minnesota Teen Challenge or the Gideons or we've heard from Urban Homeworks or we have uh, people now that are going to be running a marathon for World Vision. You can give and support those kind of ministries with very specific work that they are doing. You can give to individual missionaries. Uh, that have gone out from our church or maybe you know from family members or other connections and you can support what they are doing directly and it helps them in their specific ministry it keeps them on the field so that they are able to serve God and you can give to the church and when you give to the church in one sense it really supports all of the above and much more when we give to the local church God uses that in a variety of ways, and I'm just going to put a bunch of these up here. There's no particular order. But when you give to the church, it takes part in evangelism. Last year, we had over 100 white roses. You share in those salvation decisions when you give to the church. 
in missions. I mean, we have people that have gone out around the world. Uh, you can see it in terms of children's ministry. You support what happens through Awana or Vacation Bible School and the youth ministry, the outreach that we are doing, the evangelism and discipleship. You can see it in adult ministry and the strengthening of marriages and families. You see it there in worship. These times that allow us to meet the preaching of God's word. Uh, missions, we are involved in things like Bible translation projects in two parts of the world with people that have never had the scripture in their language before. I mean, that's exciting to me. When I think about being a part of that, or I think about the church planting that's going on, the evangelism, discipleship ministries, the campus ministry, prison ministry, literature distribution, unreached people groups. And finally, when you give to the church, it also allows us to have staff who work here, who serve you. It allows us to have the facilities that we do to meet in, and it pays for practical needs like the heat and electricity and all those kind of basic things. When I look at it and I think about the different ways in which people give, I believe that the Scripture does want us to give priority to the local church where we are ministered to. And in some ways, you can look at it like if you were thinking of investments, giving to the church in one sense is like putting your money in a mutual fund that touches a lot of different things. And giving to individual ministries or missionaries is kind of like individual stock selection, if you will. There is a blessing that comes when we give. And so we need to come before the Lord and say, God, how do you want me to use what I have been given? I was talking with a man recently who's getting up in years, and he said to me, you know, Rick, my children are well taken care of, and I do not want to die rich. I want to give my resources away while I am still living so that I can enjoy seeing where they are being put to use, and I can know that they are being put to use well. We are living in a period in history in which the largest transfer of wealth in history has taken place. You know, it's estimated, I mean, over a trillion dollars will be changing hands through inheritance and the passing from one generation to the other. We have a large number of people that will be retiring in the next few years. And there is always a need in the church for a new generation of generous givers to come up to take their place. But whatever stage we are at, you know, if you are moving near uh, the end of life and you think about your will, would you include a ministry or a mission agency or a church as a part of your giving in your will? How will you leave your assets when you die? If you are at that point where you may be inheriting something from your parents, what will you do with those resources in a way that honors the Lord? And how will you use them? I think of one church recently, in, or, excuse me, it was just a little while ago in our church, excuse me, in our community, a church in our community where someone left a large estate that allowed them to basically pay off their building debt. A huge blessing. A huge blessing to the church. And when you think of what that can do, that is just enormous. Or consider this fact. We are told that the average household in the United States today pays $1,000 a year in credit card interest. In other words, they are carrying such a balance on their credit cards that they pay $1,000 every year in interest on their credit cards. 
Now, I know that sometimes people get into those situations because they are very strapped and they have started to buy things on their credit cards. But I know that other times people are not maybe careful in thinking about that or in their planning, and they have made purchases that are unnecessary. Now, imagine what would happen if that debt were retired. We have over 300 households in our church, 300 to 400 households in our church. If that statistic is true of us, that would be $300,000 a year that's just simply going to interest on credit cards. Can you imagine if that were taking care of what God could do with that money? I mean, that would be three times our current missions budget. That would be huge in terms of how those dollars could be mobilized for the kingdom of God. There are practical ways that we can make a difference by our priorities and by choosing to, you know, say no to some things, to say yes to something else that can impact the kingdom of God. If you have questions in that area or you feel like, boy, that's an area I'd really like to get a handle on, that's why we offer the financial peace class or we've offered the treasure principle and things like that to help us to take a look at our money management and to make changes that can improve that situation for us. Finally, when we give, God is glorified. God is glorified when we choose to give as he instructs. Our giving to help others will result in many expressions of thanks to God. Paul says that men will praise God because of your obedience to the faith. They will see what God has done in your life and they will pray for you. You know, and all of that we have seen here in our church too. Do you remember last summer in August we had Minnesota Teen Challenge here and the choir sang? It was just a joy to meet with some of those individuals afterwards when we had our meal together and then to talk to Rich Sherber. And he shared, you know, those uh, individuals who came out said that they were so blessed being here. I said, you know, we go to a variety of churches, but you have always been so welcoming to us. You talk to us, you greet us at the door, you know, we can tell that you are excited to have us here, and they love to sing for us. They are thanking God for you and for your generosity. Uh, Rich Sherber, the director of that uh, Minnesota Teen Challenge, invited me down to speak at a chapel uh, this year, and I did that uh, in the fall. And he just said, you know, again, he said, if you want to come down, if you're able to speak at our chapels, we would love to have you here because you guys get it. You understand what this is about and what we're trying to do here to see lives change for the glory of God. I think of, uh, we have these monthly phone calls to Pastor Obispo in Guatemala. And every month when I talk to Pastor Obispo and uh, Gene translates for us and we have these conversations, you know, he is always so grateful for us. So grateful for the support that we have sent and for the difference that it makes in their life. We have allowed them to purchase Bibles to give away an outreach. We help support the radio ministry that is broadcast all over that valley. And they are seeing people come to know Christ, and we share in that, and they are praying for us. And I often wonder how big an impact their prayers are having on our ministry. They are just so, so extremely grateful to God, just like what Paul writes here. They are praising God for our kindness and our partnership, and they just view it as a gift from Him. 
Where does that all start? It starts with God. And Paul ends this great section on giving by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He is talking about the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, through whom salvation comes, through whom every spiritual blessing in heaven and on earth comes, all because of our relationship with him. God will be no one's debtor. No one will outgive God. What we gain is far more than we ever give up. It is far more than we deserve. So how can we do anything less than to be a generous giver? Why should we give? The Bible tells us here again, just in recapping these things, it is because God loves a cheerful giver. And God blesses those who give, and he will provide for you and me. God uses our giving to meet the needs of others. And if we don't give, we are really withholding from those who are in need assets and resources that could be used in the kingdom. And when we give, God is glorified in us. And he smiles on his children who have learned the value of generous giving. So what will you do in response to this message and this series of messages? That's a real test of our faith. It's not just information that's meant to kind of tuck away and say that was really interesting to hear about at the time. But it really comes down to the practical outcomes. Will we give generously to the Lord? If you have not tithed, will you begin to tithe? Or will you look at that if you are tithing already and say, you know, God, there are some things that have happened in my life recently and I really want to know. God, how do you want me to use those resources that you have given to me? Trust Him. I'm praying that we will see an increase in our church's giving for the sake of the kingdom. And I'm praying that we will see a whole new generation of generous givers raised up for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just feel like these passages of Scripture are so clear. They are a call to us to give as you intend. And would you now show us what it is that you want each of us to do? How should we respond, Lord? What does it mean to be a generous giver for each one of us? What's the amount that we should give and how should we divide that up if we are looking between the church and missions? What should our priorities be? And Lord, really only you can answer that and I just pray that each one of us would take the time to come before the Lord as individuals and as a couple and say, God, would you show me what it is that you want me to do? And then put that into practice today. We pray in your name. Amen. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.